Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. We're the hosts of the Places Where We Go podcast. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places in our own local backyard. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Top of the morning or afternoon or evening, whenever it is that you're listening to this today, we're going to take a trip that's a bit of memory lane for us. We're going to start a discussion on Dublin, Ireland. And so this city, when we first started talking about doing this podcast over a year and a half ago, at the time, I think we both said to each other, hey, there's one place that we absolutely have to talk about, and that's Dublin. Mm-hmm. And so a year and a half later, we're finally getting around to talking about finally getting around to this, it. this place. And although you had gone on international trips uh, when you were younger, mm-hmm. I had not. So this was my first international trip, and it sure was a whirlwind. Yeah, other than... Technically, Canada is an international trip. So you had uh, we been... We took our little six-month-old daughter to Canada. Yeah. But this was your first overseas trip. So this is now... This is a number of years ago, but very eventful for us. And I think somewhere in, along the lines of this discussion, we'll get into the significance of this trip. And for me, this, this particular trip was a life-changing event because it ended up, for me, I think for both of us, kind of changing... Our perspective on travel. Yes, we got the what they call the travel bug. I yeah. mean, we definitely were infected by it. Yeah. So as we're sitting here today, we're in the world of COVID and you know trying to do everything we can to avoid the COVID bug. But when we, a number of years ago, when we took the trip to Ireland, we did get a bug, and it was mm-hmm. a good bug, mm-hmm. and uh, it's given us lots of memories since then. So interesting how this came about. So at the point of our lives when we took this trip, our kids were teenagers probably at the time. Mm -hmm. And then so prior to this, our vacation time would have been an annual trip to Disneyland or maybe to San Diego. Sequoias maybe. Camping trips, all for the most part, just things within our home state. Mm And I'm at work one day, and I forget exactly how this came about. I don't know if it was a phone call or an email, but all of a sudden this opportunity to go on this work-related event to Ireland fell into my lap. So at the time I had been working in corporate education, and there was an event being hosted in Ireland that was Mm -hmm. part of this learning alliance there, and the trip kind of got put in front of me from the group that was hosting it. And wasn't it only days before you were supposed to leave? So that was one of the things about this. Yeah, the opportunity came up probably about a month out or so, Mm -hmm. um, just a few weeks out. So this wasn't one of those things where there was months and months and months of notice. It was fairly short notice. And where I was working in the company that I was working for, oh, I still work for actually, the concept of international travel, unless you're a, a big wig, which I was not, and I still am not, is that this is not something that's done. So I think my first inclination was trying to find somebody else 
who was higher up than me working in the same area that I was to see if I can give the trip to them. So I approached my boss's gym at the time and you know, tried to throw it at him because I was trying to be, you know, work by the letter of the, the law of the company and everything. I didn't know this. Oh, yeah. And uh, he had previously been to Scotland and I think his wife is Scottish, Scottish mm-hmm. roots. But he he listened to the opportunity and looked at me and said, I think you should go. <laughs> and then just kind of knowing that, again, you know, people at my level didn't do international trips. I double checked it with... Double checked it? Double checked with... So it would have been his boss's boss. And long story short is I got a green light because it ended up that the trip was going to be completely funded by this group from Ireland. Mm -hmm. So the company wasn't going to be out anything. And I think that was one of the concerns. So I came home one day and told you I got an opportunity to go to Ireland. Now, at this point in my life, I had not done a whole lot of genealogy, but I knew for sure that my mom's side had Irish roots, that there was actually immigration to America from Ireland through Michael Austin. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of exciting for me. I thought, boy, what a great place to go visit. And I kind of threw that out there and said, man, wouldn't it be nice if I could go? I remember you saying, you're not going without me. (laughs) (laughs) Which was completely understandable because like we said, you know, prior to this, our opportunities to travel overseas just... um, we weren't in the phase of life without to be able to do that with us and three kids and the expense that goes along mm-hmm. with that, you know, it was just not in the financial plans at that time. But this was going to be a trip where my expenses were going to be covered by this group from Ireland. And we just had to find a ticket for you. Mm-hmm. And that was easily done. And so next thing you know, are making making sure that we have airline tickets and then we had the oh my gosh moment. Yes, because I did not have a passport. Nor did I at the time. Yes, did I? You did not. Yeah, we both I, had to get emergency passports. Mine was expired. Oh, that's right, because you hadn't traveled for so long. Yeah, it, it had been a while. So I had previous yeah. passport when I traveled to Poland with my parents, but that you had since. I mean, that was mm-hmm. over the 10-year mark. Mm-hmm. So we both... We're looking at taking this trip to Ireland, but needed passports and had limited time. And this was all happening just before the Thanksgiving cycle of the year that we went. And so now we were in full rush mode trying to find out how quickly we could get basically an emergency passport because mm-hmm. we didn't have time to go through the regular process. Mm-hmm. So I remember we found some outfit in Los Angeles that specialized in getting super quick turnarounds on passports. And didn't we have to get somebody's birth certificate? Was it mine or was it yours? It might have been both of them. So I remember, yeah, we we made trips to get some official documents. And Mm -hmm. I remember we had one trip to Van Nuys to get something. There might have been a trip somewhere else. And so just getting the documentation Mm -hmm. needed, we were pulling our hair out making sure that that could happen. That was surprisingly easy, getting the birth certificates. Because we needed this quickly, we had to go in person to a number of places to get a document from here, take it to the post office at one point, and it wasn't just the local post office. We had to end up doing this through a place by the Los Angeles International Airport. I remember we had to do some Mm -hmm. stuff there. We got all our ducks in a row for the paperwork, filed everything to get our passports and we were going to be leaving. I believe the plane was going to leave the Monday after Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. 
And I believe it turned out that the passports arrived in the mail the Friday after Thanksgiving. So we fi- we got them. It was a days to spare. Yeah, and I remember being extremely nervous about that. Yeah, we were wondering, hey, is this is this going to happen? We were all getting excited for mm-hmm. this, but four days before, there was no passports right. in hand, and then with the holidays, we we're wondering, you know, how much is that going to delay things? But a couple of days before, we had passports in hand, and. Uh, going to get ready to make this overseas trip. A few things that we also, you know, were thinking about was, you know, a little bit of the planning before doing your first overseas trip, right? Right. So, Many things that can be different over there, just things in general, like we have different electrical sockets that we plug into. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all these things you have to think about. And granted, yes, we could probably have found it in Ireland if we had forgotten something. Mm-hmm. But we're kind of planners. We think about it. So we got that stuff in advance. And I also remembered the prior overseas trip that I had made when I was um, a late teenager to Poland. I remember getting there and the first day being there. I mean, basically the whole day went by. I was sleeping because I was on U.S. time, California time. And by the time I woke up, in Poland, you know, it was like, it was after three in the afternoon. And I just always remembered that I had lost at least a good one day, if not a couple of days to to time adjust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I had this notion that, hey, for this trip, I'm not going to be a victim of jet lag. So I devised this scheme that leading up to the trip every day, I would try to get to bed either 20 minutes or 30 minutes earlier. And I did this for probably, you know, it was close to what a week and a half or two weeks. So, yeah, so by you the time, did much better than I did. Yeah. So by the time that we would be leaving, my plan was I wanted to be on Ireland time or as close to it as possible. Mm-hmm. And I've used that technique ever since every time that we've gone to Europe. And I just find that when we get there, you know, we get on the ground and I'm ready to go and mm-hmm. I don't have to be sleeping in the daytime be it we're in Italy or Poland or England, it's just mm-hmm. we're, we're ready to go. So, and with the time zones, let's not forget that when you're traveling from the United States to Ireland or to, or or to, to Europe, other Europe yeah, European countries. when you get there, you're going to get there the day after you leave. Right. Because we know an individual who made a, a trip, actually to turned Ireland. out to also be, yeah, it was to Ireland and forgot in their planning that when they would get there they would forget be, i don't i don't think it was thought about it turned out to be a surprise yeah. for them that they lost a day of their itinerary because yeah. they yeah. didn't take the time zone mm-hmm. change and mm-hmm. time day change into consideration so don't let that happen to you when you make your trips uh from the u.s to europe or i guess vice versa you actually probably gain a day so if you're listening to this from the United Kingdom and you're planning a trip to come to California. Yes, yes. yes. So again, we were making this trip just after Thanksgiving. And when we would arrive in Dublin, Ireland, they were getting ready for Christmas time. Christmas. So Christmas was in the air, decorations mm-hmm. on the street. The trip that we would have to Ireland would be primarily to just Dublin. So we didn't have a chance at this time to see the country, yes. but we were going to immerse ourselves as in, much as possible yeah, in the city of Dublin. The city, yeah. So, and I, we we did do a little um, bus trip out towards outside of the city too. Yeah, but which we'll get we'll, to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. And this is, I think, one of the learning moments we had with this trip was being the first international trip, not knowing how many days 
to arrange for it. And mm-hmm. I think in part knowing that we had younger kids back home, yeah. we didn't want to be away for super for, long. Yeah, for too long. But I had two days that I had to devote to this work-related thing. And then we decided we were going to bolt on, I don't know, it was three three days or four four days days, to do some exploration. So we did add on some personal time. So we had a little under a week, which Mm -hmm. was a nice amount of time to explore the city, not enough time to explore the greater parts of Ireland. I think you'd need longer for that. Plenty of time for the city. Yeah. So we are going to divide this exploration of Dublin into 10 things that you can do, 10 things that we did while visiting Dublin. Okay. So this will be at least um, a, a couple of episode podcasts, but we're, first thing we did is hit the streets, so. Yeah. So Dublin, Dublin is the capital and the largest city in Ireland, and it has a population of two million people in the greater Dublin area. So there's a lot of people that are generally in the Dublin area, and then as most bigger cities, you go outside to the rural areas, and there's way less people. The city of Dublin was absolutely amazing. It, it was my first experience in a city that had such antiquities and old architecture and cobblestone streets and old buildings and with a mix of new buildings. And it just had, for the first time in my life, I had felt what it was like to be in a European city. Yeah, and you got a head start on the exploration because I was stuck for two days in some hotel room. It was interesting. Yeah, it and so really you, you hit the streets on by yourself and yeah. you were doing this exploration. Yeah. Well, we had gotten to Ireland and the first thing we did was find our place we were staying at, which was called Clondarf Castle. Remember mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. I remember walking up to it and I was just like, Really? We're staying in a castle? I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, huh? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was rainy. I remember it being a little bit rainy, a little bit cold. And we arrived there, checked in, but we immediately just went out and started walking. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, we got there a day before my events were going to start. Mm-hmm. So we did get some exploration in day number one. Yeah, so we went to uh, Henry Street is what we did. And walked that area over there. There was lots of shopping and old sites, old buildings. Uh, first thing we saw was the Polish store. Mm-hmm, I remember Polska, that. Polska Sklep. 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 That caught our eye. Caught our eye we immediately. We weren't expecting to see that, but yeah. turns out that, especially at that time, Ireland had become a hub for immigration from Poland. And so we saw remnants of the Polish immigrants and, you know, selling their food, having some of their customs in the city. So we just walked the streets of the city of Dublin. So it was coming towards the evening. And I remember seeing the uh, Christmas decorations were being lit up over some of these old walking streets. I don't think on Henry Street, you could even drive a car. Yeah, there is completely a walking street. Yeah, some of the streets, be it Grafton Street, I think O'Connell may have had cars, but there were some of the... the, O'Connell had cars. Some of the big streets were close to car traffic, so they were more pedestrian in nature. As in Europe anyway, I think there is more pedestrians in general in Europe because they have a totally, completely different transportation system than we do. So on Henry Street, I remember walking down towards the end of the walking section, and there was that statue, that first statue that we saw of James Joyce... It was an author, a very famous author yeah. in Ireland. Yeah, I have so, not read any of his... You said you were going to. 
Probably did. And I think his his main claim to fame, Ulysses, I think I once saw that at a bookstore and I think it looked like it's one of those books that I think you need a lot of time to digest. I think it was on the bigger side. Like than, the Iliad? Yeah, you know, that's a whole nother <laughs> experience. You need a translator and aids. Fantastic book, that Iliad and the Odyssey. Yeah. But someday I might get around when I retire. When you retire. Maybe. When you retire. Yes. Uh, we saw many other streets as we, famous streets, as we walked along the city of Dublin. One of the main streets was O'Connell Street, which mm-hmm. was kind of the the center point for me. I figured if I could find O'Connell Street, I'd be able to find my way to pretty much anything. In my head, I was thinking Yeah, because it's like one of the main walking avenues, I think, in Dublin, yeah. Yeah, so there's lots of shopping in the daytime, but they do have street performers in the evening, so mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. It has lots and lots of history on the street. There was lots of damage done during the Civil War that they had there in the 20th century, and some of that damage you can actually see today. Well, I'll give you a little heads up on that as I'm coming up to it. The statue of Daniel O'Connell, which the street is named after, is on this street, is quite large. It was quite big. I remember Mm -hmm. it being kind of in a center point of just before a a bridge crossing. Very prominent. Very prominent statue. Kind of cool. It was really cool to look at. He was known as the Liberator, and he was a political leader in Ireland's Roman Catholic majority in the first part of the 19th century, and he is best known for campaigning for the Catholic emancipation and for arguing for the repeal of the Act of Union in the 1800s, which united Great Britain and Ireland into the United Kingdom. So that was not something that he was very fond of. He wanted Irish independence, and he fought hard for the Catholics in that time. So it was, it was a cool statue to see. Honestly, I have to say, I had never heard of him before we went to Ireland. Yeah, nor did I. Yeah. I think, you know, as we were walking around Dublin, they do have quite a number of statues of famous Irish people. James Joyce, I was familiar with. But there was a number of these other folks that I think probably wasn't until our return home and looking through the photographs that I started to you started know, looking, yeah. do some research about, mm-hmm. okay, who were these people and what were they known for? Yeah. yeah. There, we mentioned the Polish stores. Uh, The one that we saw was just one of probably others. There was quite a Polish immigration Mm -hmm. uh, at one point into Ireland. And I think even today, my understanding is that Poles make up the next largest national group in the country other than native Irish at 122,000 people, roughly. So there's actually more Poles in Ireland the non-Irish members of the United Kingdom. Yeah, which is yeah. which is very amazing. Mm-hmm. Knowing some of the Polish history, you can understand why. Yeah, tons of shopping, just shopping everywhere. The main areas of shopping, the well-known areas of shopping, was some of the kind of more higher-end stores and beautiful buildings, beautiful old architecturally marvelous buildings. And those streets are Grafton Street and Henry Street. Uh, we had mentioned Henry Street as one of the first streets that we walked on. Yeah, so if you want to do some shopping, those are the places to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just remember being out on those streets and, you know, the ones that you mentioned and the city just feeling so alive, you mm-hmm. know, especially compared to where Lots we live. People. We live in Southern California and there is not a walking culture here to the extent that there is in many European cities. And like when we were in Dublin, that's one of the first places we'd ever been to where you'd walk outside and 
you know, maybe a little bit akin to like a New York City where you probably have more people walking out and about. This was just bustling with mm-hmm. people all over the place and not yeah. not in their cars. But if you're not in the shopping mood, let's say, and you walk down the street, there's so many windows to look through into these buildings and do that. They call it window shopping. Mm-hmm. You may find something that really catches your eye and you go on into the store, but mostly we kind of just walked and looked in windows and yeah, we're just trying, had trying fun to seeing. Take it in. Yeah, yeah, and enjoying the people in the streets. And on these streets, you'll find what they call buskers. And these would be the musicians or the poets. They have mime artists and they perform for the crowds on the streets of Grafton. And there's a movie called Once. A movie and a play. We saw both, oh, we, didn't we? We went to the theater first. Because we pulled up once after our visit, right? Yeah. Well, I think the movie came out quite a number of years after we had gone to Dublin. The opening scene is a depiction of buskers, yes. what we call buskers. Yes. So if you haven't seen that movie, it's, 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 a, it's good, a nice one to watch. It's a good flick. I remember bits and pieces of it. It has been a while. Now, I mentioned there was some damage that was done on some of these main streets, and one of them is O'Connell. There is a immense-looking post office. The Dublin General Post Office, Mm -hmm. yeah. And just a ton of activity around this area on O'Connell Street. But every Easter, it becomes the symbol of the Irish Revolution and a very, very somber place for remembrance for the Irish that fought Mm -hmm. there for their independence. Britain was still in rule uh, in Ireland in 1916, and there were seven very, very unlikely revolutionaries that hatched a plan for an armed uprising during the Easter holiday. They wrote a proclamation of independence and chose strategic sites in the downtown Dublin for their uh, uprising. And this included the post office. And this is, we had walked by it several times. They thought that once the revolution began, that the people of Ireland would actually rise up and join in with them. Join in with the cause. And they had all kinds of great plans, but apparently things did did not go to plan. Because they probably heard tons of mumblings and unrest. And they thought, well, if they could get this proclamation of independence out, that people would just jump on board and join in this revolution. See, they didn't have social media. If they had social media, it would have been a game changer for them. Oh, good old social media. Wish I didn't have it. Anyway, no. (laughs) But this didn't quite happen, and they had made their stand, these seven very courageous people, at the post office for six days. They raised their Irish flag, and they recited their proclamation, and people would just kind of jeer and complain, and nobody really understood, I think, what they were trying to do They just saw it as seven rebels that were making trouble. Eventually, the post office was set on fire and it was almost destroyed, along with a lot of other buildings around it. And in the end, the British Army came in and just destroyed downtown Dublin uh, so they could defeat these people that were uh, this uprising. It would likely have been just a little footnote in history, but for the fact that all the seven signatories of the proclamation were then tried 
in a British court in secret, and they were executed by the British crown. And martyrs they became. And they became martyrs. And that's when people said, oh no, you can't kill our Irish people. And they stood up. And there was a change at that point. Things began to change within the nation, within Ireland itself. So this fight, this very short-lived fight, and the reverence for the leaders that died during this fight is what eventually led to the independence of Ireland. And this whole story, it kind of comes to life when you're walking by the post office, because as you're looking at the building today, you can still see the bullet hole markings that... Large, large holes from mortar damage. I mean, they were just plummeted with arms, and it was probably so incredibly frightening to be those people. The building still to this day bears the wounds and the scars of this battle, and you can see them with your eye. And again, this is, it's one of those examples when you travel, when we travel outside of where we live, because we don't have that kind of history here. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't have walked by buildings that 500 years ago were the site of a revolution or some battle where people basically paved the path for our ability to live the way we do today. I mean, we, we, we have a history in America, but I think you've got more of that on the East Coast. Where it all started in America. It was all on the East yeah. Coast, and, and they started migrating into the what eventually became our nation. Yeah, so I think those things are neat to see. They're absolutely yeah. neat to see. Yeah. And it's also helpful to kind of understand the history behind them. So you can walk by the building, not give it a second glance, or you could take a closer look, and you're going to see, hmm, what, there's these holes in the building. Why are they there? And then you start to go down this story, and it's just, uh, it, it's amazing what, what some of the people went through. Yeah. And I the- remember every time we passed that building, because we did several times, mm-hmm. I would look over and, and specifically look at those markings on that building. Yeah. And I'm grateful that they didn't repair them. A neat thing to do when you visit Dublin is just spend some time walking the streets because there's neat things to see, lots of history. So that's our number one thing to do. Moving on to our number two thing to do, kind of related because you're also going to find these primarily on the streets, is to take in the monuments and the statues. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a few already. The but gym. there was one that was our marker we would look for. It was our my safety yeah. zone. Mm-hmm. So the neat thing about Dublin, so... I'm going to back up a bit. So prior to going there, one of my concerns was, okay, once we're in the city, how am I going to know where to go? And I did buy one of those touristy books. We got the Fromers Dublin Day by Day or something Mm -hmm. like that. And in it, there there was a map of the central city of Dublin. So I spent some time trying to memorize some certain spots so I knew where to be and where to go. But as we started our excursion into the city, you'd look up and there was this massive spire, the tallest thing that you can see. So this is the Spire of Dublin. It's also known as the Monument of Light and it's 390 feet high and erected originally, it was supposed to be for the millennium, but it didn't actually get completed until after a few years after the turn of the year 2000. But the neat thing about the spire is that wherever you are in the city center of Dublin, all you have to do is look up, you see the spire, and it's kind of this marker of at least where kind of the 
where it is, where the center is. And if you get kind of lost, if you make your way back to the spire, you might be able to get your bearings and then get back to where you need to get to. So it turned out to be that way for us. We kind of used it as a personal landmark just to get our bearings on the city that we were completely unfamiliar with. Mm -hmm. So it does serve as a nice central focal point. And again, I mentioned, you know, the monument was constructed just after the year 2000. Initially, it was part of, um, there was a commission to redesign some of the street layouts in the area. And in the late 1900s, you know, some of this area, O'Connell Street, et cetera, had fallen into um, not its best look. And so they were trying to do some things to spruce up the city. They were trying to get shop owners to have signage that was going to be more attractive to the locals and to tourists and part of the the centerpiece of the city's regeneration was going to be this new monument and so there was a lot of submissions part of an international competition and the spire that you see there today is the winner but not everybody turned out to be a fan of the spire and Mm -hmm. initially there was some opposition that initially greeted the monument supporters compared it with things like the eiffel tower trying to make it seem like something to be proud of but there was detractors who complained about it and gave it nicknames including the nail in the pail the stiletto in the ghetto the pin in the bin and the stiffy by the liffy (laughs) So we just call it the Dublin Spire. We just call it the Dublin Spire. But it's Spire. got a bunch of names. But it meant something to us as far as keeping us on track on location. Yep. It was it was a great marker for, because it's so high up, it's one of the things that when you look up mm. through the city, that's what you see. Yeah. And I think when we did this trip, we probably would not have been using that I can remember GPS on our phone. No. So if we did this trip today... Yeah, it'd be different. Yeah, with the way cell phones have advanced. Yeah, Yeah, and then there was that day I went out totally on my own. And that was a lifesaver for me. Yeah. So what do you remember about the day that you were doing your own exploration? Well, I was nervous because you weren't with me. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of like my rock. And I went out, I I really was afraid to go out because I had never, I'm in this big city all by myself. I don't know the city. I've never done that before. And also we didn't know, you know, was it safe or not? Probably. Yeah. There's probably stories of unsafe places. I was totally unaware of that. And I do think you do have to be careful in some places because Mm -hmm. there are the gypsies there and mostly they were sitting kind of by the bridge by the bridge or they were in uh by temple bar temple bar yeah yeah they're in that temple bar area so and we were kind of new about that and you know not to stop and and talk to them and just just walk on by because it's kind of a a business for them there's a little scammy thing going that we heard about Mm -hmm. so i knew about all that so i didn't know where i was going to go i did know i wanted to get to the library they have an incredible library there because i was looking for information a genealogy library yeah. is part of it and i was looking for information on michael austin so that was my goal i actually got there getting there i was just i got on the bus by myself and i got off at city center and i just started walking mm. and i had no clue where i was supposed to go where you was I don't remember asking people. I think when I got close to Trinity College, I asked somebody about the library, but I think that was the extent of it. Hmm. 
I must have had a general idea of where it was because I remember I had to get to Trinity College somehow. And I just walked and walked and walked. I tried to take pictures. I think there was some nervousness about just being out there by myself. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get a lot of pictures of when I was out. I walked around Trinity College before you did Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I was there. So I just went in and I walked around a little bit and came back out and went towards... There's this one park that I was directed to. And it's called Fusilier's Arch. They said, and then there's a park behind it. And that's what I was supposed to find. So I ended up finding that. And that was pretty close to the library. And then I remember going in the library. It's getting late too, because I've been walking for hours. And the immenseness of the city, I felt like an ant. It was just these beautiful, gorgeous buildings all over the place. And got to the library and sat down. I started looking for information on a computer. And I found a few Michael Austins, but I didn't have enough information to know who was who. Yeah, so this is kind of earlier so on. It in was your, very early in, on. In your genealogy exploration. Yeah, yeah, so I just kind of looked at it and I said, I could be here for days before I found something. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to pack it up and I left. I think I went back to city center. I found the bus, went back to the hotel and went upstairs and it was late by then. Mm. So it was an entire day I was out. But a good time. Yeah. It was fantastic. Mm. I think mostly I was kind of proud of myself for going out there and doing that Mm. by myself. Um, In a foreign country. In a foreign country. I was just like, you know, I, I done good. Yeah. But it was just, it was Amazing. Yeah. You mentioned riding the bus. And so one of the things I remember in Dublin was getting on the bus and not knowing where the heck do you get off. Yep. <laughs> and um, I think we ended up always, you know, asking people, where do we get off if we want to go to this place or that place? And in the years since, you know, I've, I've come across a way to help to avoid getting lost when on a bus. So if you go back in our podcast archives and find the episode on Bath, England, There is a special tip to help you never lose your bearings when riding a bus in any foreign country ever again. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know this tip when we were in Dublin, but since then we've got it. So, hey, let's go on to number three, Julie. The National Museum of Ireland. Uh, We were together at this point. It had many pieces of beautiful art in it. It had a lot of history, which included a lot of armory and weaponry. You saw furniture, you saw silver. There was ceramics and glassware. It was, there was a lot of examples of folk life and costume of Ireland. So that was very exciting for me because I was so interested in, in the Irish life at that point. Still am, really. Since then, we'll be moving on to Scotland someday because I've gotten more on my DNA that I realized. I remember walking to, we walked a bit. I remember we walked a bit to it and it was an old army barracks. Yeah, I remember that kind of intrigued me that it had that history. Yeah, I think 1700s or something. It was it was pretty old. Yeah, it looked really old. I don't remember exactly from what year, but it did have a military history, and some some yeah. of that was on display. It was on display yeah, there in the museum. So yeah. you walked in, and there's this massive courtyard that you walk into, and of course, you know, in a military base, there's 
always the defense aspect of things. So yep. it's just a square. So the buildings were pretty much the defense. And then the, there was a huge courtyard in the middle of it. Yeah. And when we learned that it was an army barracks and, and that square was so large, I, I could picture in my head decades before soldiers marching there, you know, because that obviously would have happened there. And mm-hmm. that's one of those places where you close your eyes and you can start to just imagine what would have happened there decades yeah. ago. Yeah. And they had some artifacts that went all the way back to the before Christ era. So uh, Ireland is so old and so rich in history. And Ireland has done a very good job of keeping that story of mm-hmm. Ireland going as far back as BC. It's pretty amazing when you see that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, so if you want to taken a museum when you go to a city as a tourist when you're in Ireland this is going to be one of your options and uh, you know I'd recommend it you know there's quite mm-hmm. a bit to see there and it's one of several that are part of a branch of the same museum right, yeah grouping I yeah, guess Europe right? has an amazing museum system they really do yeah but the one that we went to was the museum branch for decorative arts and history They also have another one that's devoted just to archaeology and yet another one for natural Natural history. history. So several museums that are part of this National Museum of Ireland. And then aside from it, you've got multiple other museums. Mm -hmm. So you can spend days in the city here. And this particular museum, what's absolutely amazing to me is that the entry fee at the time that we went was free. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it still is free. Yeah. Yeah. We took two hours in the section that we saw. I mean, if you want to explore more of the museums, you would add time onto that. But it took about two hours for the one building that we went into. We take our time. We look at things. We try to soak it all up. So we usually visit museums longer than others do. But we love to just kind of soak it all up and see what kind of history and information we can get. Yeah, and you can take photos in here, too, which is kind of neat. Just, you know, I remember... A few days ago, I was going through the photos of this trip, and at this museum, we went through a big collection of military-related artifacts. They had a huge sword collection. It was interesting to see the implements of protection that the Irish had used back in the day. And so that's just among many, many, many things that are on display in, in this museum. So... You know, we're looking at our list here again. We've got, you know, 10 things to talk about in Ireland, but also looking at the clock on the recorder. We want to make sure we do justice to the other items that we have remaining. So when we get back, we're going to resume on item number four and we're going to start getting into some of the Irish drinking culture. So we have some fun visits, a a couple of them. So come on and join us next time. We'll continue talking about Dublin. And next time I say, you know, bring your favorite whiskey along with you or your favorite beer. Irish is better. And we'll continue our tour through Dublin, Ireland. All right. So we'll try to make this one come a little bit quicker than... We took a week off because of Thanksgiving this year. Well, yeah. Not this one come a little bit quicker, but the next one come a little bit quicker. So you can get a taste of this sooner than later. And we'll tag on whatever we have to do in the next one. So until then, we're very glad you joined us. And we hope you join us on the places where we go. Bye. If you have any comments or info to share with us about travel, you can write us at comments at 
placeswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. Right now we're on Twitter and Instagram, both at The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at The Places Where We Go. See you next time. Bye now.